Hey guys, this is Bruce and welcome to another episode of Combo Courses where we talk about everything related to security compliance mostly. People don't really talk about this so I figured, you know what, I should talk about it. Um, I want to start this off by letting you guys know I have a new book out. Um, early release, it's only $1.99 um, and this is going to be only for my subscribers. Um, so it's only going to be out for like a week. And then after that, it's gonna go to it's gonna be about forty bucks, because the books like I don't know if you noticed, but books like these they don't uh, they they're not cheap, because um, sometimes they're used in schools and stuff. I, I, that would be my guess. I'm not sure, but I've had to buy these books for fifty, sixty, seventy bucks. So <laughs> this one right now is one dollar and ninety nine cents, and this one talks about the risk management framework. ISO, uh, the it talks about the NIST 853 controls from the perspective of an it's an information system security officer. And um, this is this is going to be version one. I've already done the editing, but I've got one more round of edits that I'm going to do. After I do those edits, I'm going to re-release it. And it'll be that's when it'll be 40 bucks. So the this this view, if you actually purchase this book right now for 99 cents, it won't be that much different than the last one that comes out when it's 40 bucks. But right now, nobody knows about it because I haven't really marketed it yet. Um, but once it once it gets marketed, it, it will. It, it's gonna, this book's gonna do okay because there's nobody talking about this book right here. Another thing that uh, that I'm releasing early early release as well is the Security Control Assessor course. And this is something that people have been asking me about for a long time, and here it is. The early release of this is, of course, going to be cheaper, just like I always do. And then I increase the price over time as I release more more um, modules of it as the hours of it of this course increases. For example, I went from like four hours in the beginning and released it for like 100 bucks. My some of my previous courses and then now it's like 12 hours and it's like it's like three hundred dollars and probably more as I add more content to it. So yeah, those are the two courses that I have out right now. If you're interested in those, go check them out. It's a book that has the controls, the NIST 800 controls, and the SEA course. Um, and both of these are released. And I'm releasing them right now because I'm I'm actually going to be out of the country for some time, and I won't be able to do this when I'm when I'm out and about going to all these different countries and stuff. Um, I wanted to start off with uh, some TikTok questions, and uh, let me let me just switch my screens real quick. Bear with me. So somebody asked me on TikTok. Uh, I'm getting some really good engagement on TikTok, actually, and um, a lot of good questions. And if you didn't know, I have a TikTok. Just go to TikTok and type in Combo Courses and join me there. You ask any questions you want. We talk about it make short term short uh, videos on that let me see TikTok, TikTok.com for slash combo courses okay here we go right here and where's the questions on this questions comments complaints
I don't know if you guys are on TikTok yet, but uh, it's a pretty fun platform, I have to say. It's like you have to think about the content a whole different way in order to deliver it properly on that platform because it's so short. So you got to like really get to the point. <laughs> you got to really get to the point really fast. But yes, yeah, it's, it's a pretty fun. I, I've enjoyed uh, making content on this one. It's forced me to like think outside the box a little bit. All right, let me see my first round of questions. I had a pretty good question about what questions they ask for SEA. It's like uh, there's a dude, he's about to get, get into the SEA work. He's about to have an interview for it. And uh, he wanted to know how to prepare for it. So let me show you that right here. All right, so here's the question. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this video. So I'm making like meme type videos over here. I don't know if you can hear this. Um, anyway, he asked me about, see if I could pause this. Yeah. He said, preparing for interview for this, uh, for this coming Monday for a security control assessor position, uh, with the hiring manager, project management, and the lead assessor. And what kind of questions should I expect? Okay. So I can actually answer this one because um, I actually was in an assessor. My last job was a risk assessor. It wasn't a security control assessor. There's a difference between what I was doing and what he's going to be doing. But I could tell you as a risk assessor, here's the questions that they ask me. And I put kind of threw something together real quick. And uh, if you're interested in getting this and you can go ahead and sign up. This is downloadable. You go to risk management framework and go to the SEA course just sign up, sign ups for free, and then you'll see that this thing is downloadable for free. So just go in there. Here it is right here, SEA questions. You can literally download this right here if you're interested. Just And the link is in the description below. So, okay, let me – here's the questions that they ask me as a risk assessor. So let me put this – get context in this. So what they were trying to do is gauge how much I knew about the frameworks because we were – we would be using different frameworks to do assessments. My whole job, like 95% of my job was assessments. We did something like 13 assessments for each one of our clients. And then at the end of that, we would give them a deliverable. So we had one for like physical security, a wireless assessment. We had one for uh, their documentation piece. We had one for their internal, external, and DMZ assessments. And then we would run the scans. We'd go on site. We'd do all, we'd collect all the data, and then we'd give them a report. And that was due, like, uh, it was, like, quarterly. So that it's a, that's a lot of work to do quarter, like, every three months, right? And we have to do all this whole report and give it to them. That was the job. And we did it over two or three different frameworks they had they mostly use cis they had their own variant that was based off of cis but every now and then we had one that was based off of nist or based off of pci compliance and stuff like that so during the course of this interview when i first did this i think it was three years ago 2019 before just before covid and they were asking me like these kinds of questions they said okay what can you tell me about x security compliance framework so they asked me like um we we see on your resume that you have experience with NIST. 
um, what can you tell me about the NIST? And they wanted to know how gauge my uh, knowledge of the risk management framework, eight, risk management framework, um, NIST 800 risk management framework. They wanted to know that. But they, if they had seen anything else on my resume, if they'd seen DSS, uh, PCI, DSS, uh, HIPAA, or anything, they would have asked me the same question. But since they knew it was NIST, they asked me, uh, can you explain the steps of risk management framework? And then I did. I just broke it down to them, just like I do every week on here, just talking about you know all each one of the steps of the risk management framework. Then they said, okay, what uh, what did you do for your previous customer, uh, your previous actually employer? What did you do for your previous employer for the risk management framework? And I just explained to them, well, you know, I was. I was uh, worked with NASA and I was an information system security officer. So I had to go through all the steps. I had to prepare the the system. I had to talk to stakeholders when I, during the prepare stage. I had to help out with categorization. Usually the organization did that, but I would help them if they had any questions, which they did from time to time about categorization, security categorization of the system. They would ask me, okay, uh, what did you do for selection of the security controls? I'd say, well, sometimes we'd have to go through the controls to see which ones should be tailored in or tailored out. We had to take some out, put some in, and things like that. And it would change whenever there was a major modification sometimes or if there was a different site. And then they said, okay, well, um, you know, what else would – and I'd, I'd tell them, well, assessments, like we, that was another part of it. But we mostly did self-assessments to make sure that we were good before IG inspection came. And then I would tell them, um, I would go through each one of the phases of risk management framework. So by the end of it, they knew I, I really knew what I was talking about because I was going right off the head with it. And that's kind of how prepared you need to be. If you know this stuff, if you've done it before, or if you even you need a refresher like PCI compliance, I couldn't really go off the head with that. I'd have to Google it and then go through it and then refresh my memory before the interview. That's what you want to do before the interview. They're going to ask you about frameworks because they want to know if you know the framework and the reason why that's important to an SEA is because when you go when you're interacting with a client when you're interacting with a customer or somebody you're going to scan you need to know like is, it, is this a developed how developed is this system where are they in the risk management framework process uh, where what uh, how developed is this system so that's why you kind of need to know what risk manage a little bit about risk management framework not only that but you need to know like what what impact levels the system is and that all ties into NIST 837 so that's why they're going to ask you framework type questions they want to know how deep you are into it and it, you know if you don't have experience with with risk management framework or whatever framework, PCI, HIPAA, whatever, just go read up on it. Because if you even have had any kind of um, experience with any of the frameworks, this is the beauty of security compliance. If you know one, you have a very good foothold on all of them. And I'm not even joking with you. I've been hired for jobs for doing completely different uh, security uh, security frameworks when I didn't know that one. I was I'm deep in the NIST. The last job I had, we didn't really do NIST that much. We were doing mostly CIS. We did a little bit of uh, PCI compliance. We did, but the thing is, the beauty of it is, since I know NIST so well, I as soon as they start talking about PCI, I'm like, okay, I I know how to do this. I've done this before. I've I've looked at policies before. I've looked at um, 
AC, um, access control. I, I know that they have to have event viewing, uh, if, uh, event logs, and stuff like that. I, I, because it's all the same. It's the same security controls. Anyway, what other control uh, questions did they ask me? They said, did you implement any qu uh, controls? They wanted to know if I, how hands-on was I. Um, they asked me, what other frameworks do you know? We see that you, you have experience with NIST. What other frameworks do you know? And I told them, well, I, I've dabbled a little bit in PCI compliance. I know what it is. I haven't done a lot of hands-on with it, but I do know what that one is. HIPAA, I have some experience with that one, but not very much. And then ISO 27001, I definitely know that one. And then I told them, I, I think uh, at the time I had uh, had SOC experience, like I had uh, SOC 2 experience. And I, I just had interacted with that one at my last, so I just told them that. And then they would ask me deeper questions into that framework. And it, at that place that I was working at, they we needed to know several different frameworks. Right. And and it wasn't it was more important that I knew the process well enough to adapt to any other framework so that they didn't uh, ding me for not knowing those other ones or not having experience with those ones. But as soon as I told them, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've touched PCI before, they would immediately say, OK, well, ha have you done an assessment with PCI compliance before? So you got to be careful what you put on your resume because they there's a good chance they're going to ask you about this. And and this dude is saying that he's going to be having an interview. This is a very serious interview because it's going to have the project manager, the manager, and the the lead assessor. So the lead assessor is going to ask a bunch of technical questions. They're going to ask technical questions about conducting actual assessments. So for this, I bet you they're going to ask a question like, what are the methods of assessments? What methods have you used to conduct assessments? Methods of assessments means like, have you done interviews before? Have you done testing on a system before? Have you done? Have you observed their uh, their their documentation? Those are the three methods that you normally use to do assessments. And um, just to explain those briefly, it's like observing means just like it sounds. Like you're looking at something. You're observing the 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 documentation for example you're making sure that the documentation has everything it's supposed to have in there that is updated within the last year or whatever the the frequency is of that one that it's been signed off by upper level uh, leadership that it has things like the purpose and the scope and the documentation that it's addressing things like ac controls or things like pe controls or whatever controls that are in the security uh policy so that's one thing that you do to observe. You're, you're looking around to see what's going on um, and then making a, a, um, a educated, um, educated um, assumption from a reasonable person that this is secure, this is not secure, this is going to have a certain level of risk or whatever, and then you're documenting that. Um, testing is where you're sitting down at that system. Like let's say you were doing AC controls. You're doing uh, access control uh, you want to make sure that they have access um, account management on there. You got to make sure that they have wireless. You're gonna so with wireless. You have to walk around with a wireless uh, scanner and and see what actual data is coming through. So you're actually testing the actual environment. You you might log into a system or have them log into a system to literally test that it has a banner that pops up like it's supposed to. That's testing. You're, it's mostly hands-on and, and touching the system to make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do and has the security controls put in. And then the other method is, uh, I said observe, I had testing, 
And then the other one, of course, is interviewing. That's just like it sounds. You're going to sit down with the people who are the stakeholders or the points of contact, and you're going to ask them questions. Okay, do you guys have AU controls implemented? You wouldn't say AU controls. They don't probably know what that is. But you'd say, do you guys have logs? Your uh, do you guys have logs turned on? Are you guys logging the the uh, events? Then they say yes. Okay, what events are you guys logging? Okay, and then you're just you're documenting what they're saying and they're attesting to yes we have logs uh no we don't have this we don't have that so they're attesting to or confirming that they have this or don't have that so those are the the three methods and they will ask about that guaranteed if you have a technical interview with the assessor um and other things that they asked me when i was in mine was uh my my interview for a risk assessment uh job was Healthcare. They wanted to know if I had done any work with the healthcare sector, the financial sector, because that's what we were doing. We were we were taking on clients from different sectors, different industries, and we wouldn't have to do all of these different assessments on them. Physical assessments, looking at their documentation, scans, looking at their their all the data in the scans. And that was another thing they asked me. That was a big one. What tools did I use? They asked me what network scanner. Um, they asked me specifically, looks like you have some experience with Nessus, insert scanner here. They would look at my resume and they would ask me the question. I would say yes. And they said, well, can you explain what you did with Nessus? Can you explain what you did with insert network scanner here? And I would just explain to them, well, here's what I would do with it. I was mostly looking at the results. I very rarely ran the scans, but the results, that was my whole world was looking at the results. Um, and, and so so happens that's what they wanted to hear. Um, then they asked me about cyber threat intelligence systems. They said, have you ever had an experience with cyber threat intelligence system X? You know, have you ever had this? Or, and I said, you know, no, I haven't had any experience with that, but I'm anxious to learn it. I'm really excited to learn more about threat intelligence is one of the things I've been really wanting to get into, especially in large environments. And they were impressed with that answer. I mean, obviously, because I got the job. And I actually happened to be really good at that <laughs> when I got in. Uh, what they also asked me about CVEs. Now, CVEs is something really important if you're looking at uh, vulnerabilities because CVEs are going to they're going to help you to evaluate the severity of a vulnerability. And they're, you know what? Let me just bring it up real quick instead of talking about it. What is a CVE? So this this is a this is a really big one. CVE um database this is something that you that you're going to have to know about if they ask you um so this what what happens is all these different vendors microsoft cisco um oracle name a vendor they have vulnerabilities right and they're all over the place they have their own rating system they have their own level that they would determine but there has to be some common way of evaluating each one of these vulnerabilities. And that's what the CVEs have done very effectively. So whenever they get something from a different vendor, they give it a CVSS score. Um, and, and here's kind of what it looks like. And this, this is a kind of a lot to take in. But just what you need to know about it is that it's, it's a way to consolidate all the vendors and give that vulnerability where um, regardless of the vendor – a certain level of risk, a certain risk level. So, for example, a low risk level CVE, ZVS, CVSS score 
would be something like um, um, the system isn't uh, logging errors properly, right? It's internally, it's not exposing them to the internet, but it's inside, it's just kind of shooting out this these errors, right? And, and a scanner would pick up on that and say, hey, this thing is not doing the logs like it's supposed to. Well, it's, it's a low severity score because who can like really, is, how much exposure does it have? Is it out there on the internet? Can somebody take that error and then reverse engineer and, and know what the system is or anything? No, it's a low impact um, vulnerability as opposed to a high impact vulnerability. And that would be uh, let me sh let me see if I can find an example of that. That would be something while I'm looking. That would be something like a bug that allows somebody to bypass the uh, the the authentication. <laughs> like they don't have to use a password. That happens. That actually happens from time to time. Uh, just mistakes happen. You know, it just that's <laughs> it. Just happens from time to time. So. Um, kind of look. Okay, here's here's an example of a couple of CVs I just randomly chose. This is a, an example of a CVE. This is something that you're going to have to know as a, a, a SEA, or if you're doing any kind of risk level stuff, risk management type stuff, vulnerability management type stuff. You have to know what the CVEs are, and it's just a common vulnerability. Um, I can't remember what the E is, <laughs> but it's a common vulnerability database that allows you to. Um, more accurately assess the risk against other vendors and other vulnerabilities. It's really effective. Um, they're, um, they get a lot of things right. And, and that's why every industry has been using, been using the CVE um, scores. And, and another thing that's really good at is the CVE IDs because you have so many, before CVEs got big, I, I was in this field before it got big and it was chaos. I mean, because it was hard to track the vulnerabilities as they were coming out and having a CVE identity, like a, a unique code that I, that identifies that particular vulnerability and the year that you see how this says 2008, I might have to do a whole video about this, but see how it has the year here that identifies the year that it came out. That's very relevant because if you have a very old CVE, um, they're going to be uh, more susceptible to known attacks and uh, it'll be easier in theory easier to actually exploit that particular system because it's a, this has been out there for so long that somebody could develop an entire suite of tools to to bypass the authentication or whatever the vulnerability is so that's another question that they're gonna that they could ask is can you tell me about cves can you tell me about your experience with cves another big one especially for um, if you're working with the Department of Defense or any of the branches of the military is HPSS and ACAS. And HPSS is basically McAfee, it's McAfee, McAfee EPO, which is an endpoint protection um, system. McAfee endpoint protection is what it is. And it, it's, it's basically like a firewall that sits on the system that uh, does things like analyzes threats, analyzes data going in and going out, and make sure that uh, if you do click on a suspicious link, it'll stop any traffic from anything from being downloaded. Or it can, I think it can even make sure nothing is um, ex extracted off of the network. Um, so that's what HBS it, it, 
HBSS is a host-based security system. And then ACAS is another, is a fancy, not a fancy word, it's an acronym for the, the federal government's program to use Nessus. It's basically Nessus, that's all it is. It's, it's uh, Tenable, actually, because they use a whole suite of tools from Tenable. The most, the biggest tool being Nessus Scanner. They're gonna wanna know how what you, what you know about Nessus and then uh, McAfee Endpoint Protection. They're gonna definitely ask those ones. So these are some of the questions that you may be asked if you're doing, um, if you're going for a SCA type position, an assessor role. Um, some of these for sure you'll see. And I'm just telling you based off of my experience as a risk assessor, these were some of the questions that they asked me. All right, let me let me see if there's any other questions that are out there. Let me see here. Gonna switch this real quick. Navi, hey, thanks a lot, man. Says, hey, Bruce, good work with the books. I bought both of them. Oh, man, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you, man. Hey, Navi, if you can, give me another uh, one of your excellent reviews. I really appreciate that. That helps a lot. And if you guys didn't know, I've got some, um, I'm writing a whole series of risk management framework books. They're out there right now on, um, I got two of them so far, but I'm working on the third and that third one's going to be SCA. And if you didn't know, actually, if you didn't know, here's the book right here. The link is in the description below. Um, right now, this book is $1.99 because I'm reaching out to my base to get to to get this thing out for as low cost as possible um, it will be on pdf once i get the final deliverable and what i think i'll do with the pdf is i'll add more stuff in that pdf that you're going to get uh, this is going to be a 40 dollars book so right now if you want to get it on amazon nobody knows about this once you release it on amazon there's so many hundreds of thousands of books it's just one of many <laughs> grains of sand out there so I'm telling you guys right now, go and buy this $1.99 book. It's going to go up to like $40 once I get the final um, the final edit out there. This is the most, this is the initial edit and it's going to be updated. It won't be that much different to be honest with you from the, from this book that you see, but there it is right there. And it'll have a hard copy. It'll have i I'll do a PDF version of it. It'll be sold on the book, on the site and all that kind of stuff. If you could wait for that one, if you like, or get both. I mean, it's only $1.99. So now's the time to buy it. And for all of you guys who've been waiting and waiting and waiting for an SCA course, here it is. Right now is a low price. Um, it's going to go up over time. I'm working on all the other modules, but here's the first couple of modules um, right here. Um the modules I'm going to release uh, over the next few months over time. We're going to be talking a lot about this. I know the last job I did, that's all I did for two years straight is just back-to-back -back SEA. I know a lot about the methodology. I'm going to share with you guys everything I know. It's just going to take me a while to crank all this stuff out. So right now I'm still working on it. I'm putting stuff out there for you. And so just bear with me. But right now it's a low cost of 200 bucks. If you get in now, it's, this is not going to remain 200 bucks. I don't know if you've ever taken a course or something for SEA, but there are hundreds and hundreds and sometimes thousands of dollars. I'm doing this at a 
at a price point that I believe that people can afford $200 for now. It's going to go up as I release more more stuff into it, just like I did with the other ones. Um, Navi says, would the SCA role give opportunities to run vulnerability scans? I think doing scans would help break up some of the spreadsheet work of 853A, working on those book reviews, uh, book reviews now. So um, I can show you how to conduct a scan. Like I can show you like what where you can go to get your own tools to do the scans. Um, that's something that I could do and then show like walk people through like what to like how to do that. But for now, what you have is the this is coming from the perspective. The process is coming from the perspective of somebody who's not done it before. Like this is a person who's not ever done it. They don't know anything about it. And this is telling you what it is and the process. So my my belief, Nobby, is that if you if you understand why you're doing it. And if you know how to prepare, because that's another big part piece that I'm going to be releasing soon. If you know how to prepare, that's 90% of the work. The easy stuff is actually running the scan. The easy stuff is actually doing the um, the uh, the different methods of assessing. The easy thing is interviewing. The easy thing is observing. The, all that stuff's easy. If you get the preparation right beforehand, um, everything else falls into place. It, whenever we... At the last position I was at, and um, we we had a cyber risk program, and the main thing that we had to do was prepare. Most of the work we did was preparing, prepare, knowing exactly what we had to scan, um, interacting with the right people, having meetings every week with those people to make sure that we had we consolidated and got everything right before we actually conducted the assessment and then the assessment happened the assessment would only last a couple hours right it was or if it was a scan it might last an hour it depends on how many nodes we are scanning all that kind of stuff the most important piece that if you get it right you're going to be successful is the preparation before you even prepare, you got to know the process. So that's right. That's what a lot of the focus is going to be on. Uh, the methods, of course, you know, that's going to be a big piece of it because what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each family and show you how to assess each family. I'm going to say, let's take AU controls. AU controls are auditing uh, are logging. So I'm going to show you like, okay, here's how you, here's the questions you would ask if you're doing conducting an interview. Here's the... Uh, methods that you might use to actually look at the audit logs to make sure that they're turned on and where how do you com you compare those against the policy what does the policy say what is what are they actually doing um, and then of course the testing okay let's see if you have those turned on where do you go in windows to actually check the event uh, viewer like how do you how would you do that you know those are the kinds of things that I'll do per family. That, of course, is going to take me a while to do. So just like what I did with the ISO uh, Risk Management Framework Foundations course, I released it over time. And uh, it worked out better because I'm able to add more value over time and interact with you guys on a on more personal levels. Like, like you just asked me, um, how about running a vulnerability scan? Like that's something I might implement if I have the opportunity to work with a vulnerability scanning organization and maybe they give me their tool for free. They let me give it to you guys or something like that. That might happen, you know, and that's the beauty of, of having this kind of interaction uh, like this. So, yeah, it's out there right now. 
if you guys are interested in it, sign up for free. Uh, check it out. There's some free stuff on it. I'm going to be releasing a lot of a ton of free stuff on SEA. I'm actually working on a SEA book right now. So if you happen to be, if you happen to be interested in that book, sign up for that. Tell me, hey, Bruce, I'm interested in this. I want to get this book. Um, but in the meantime, I've got the security uh, control book out right now. This is much longer than the first one I did. Uh, it's more in depth. It it's more personal. It's got my voice in it. I'm telling you real stories of stuff that happened to me for some of these control families to give you context into how to interpret them. And uh, this is my take on it. I've been doing this for over 20 years now. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. For me, it's always a conversation and I love to learn. So if there's anything that you guys can teach me, I'm I'm all ears, man. You might find it in one of my books one day. <laughs> so, all right, that's it for that one. Let me see. I got some other questions. Let me see if I can find those. Thanks for that, Navi. I appreciate that. Um, I had another question from someone, and I'll address this other dude's question on TikTok. I'm getting a lot of engagement on TikTok. It's really been a fun platform so far. Um, fun to actually figure out how to how to continue to teach in such a short on short platforms like that. You know, like when I only have a, like a minute to teach, it's been uh, it's been interesting. Let me see. I had some other questions, and I'm looking for that right now. Okay, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Let me see here. I wanted to show you guys this one. So in this one, I did this video about. Um, how a dude's making 90k in Charlotte, Carolina, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and um, and all I'm doing is saying this this career path is recession proof, and somebody said in here it's country proof. You can literally work doing secure cybersecurity um, or IT security, whatever, and you could work in another country, and I think that that's absolutely true. So. Uh, it's a great cert to have. And somebody asked me the question of, um, they said, help brother out. How do I How do I join? And how do you get in this? It really depends on where you're at. Like it depends on what level of where you're coming in at. Like if you happen to be an IT guy who's on the help desk and you've been doing it for two, three, four, five years, whatever, customer service, helping people fix their routers or something like that. Um, there's some, there, you can probably... It's a resume issue. There might be something you can adjust your resume to actually get into cybersecurity um, and make and make more money because you're gonna you're going to specialize in in something. Um, somebody told me a long time ago it, when I was first getting into IT, they said, you know, just about anybody can come in and do help desk or IT or whatever, but very few people specialize, and when you specialize, that's where the, the money is. And what he was telling me is, like, you got to specialize. Like, find something, whether it's networking. I'll ask him, like, well, what should I do? He said, it doesn't matter. Just get find something and specialize in it. Either software engineering, uh, where you're actually writing code, uh, dev developers. There's, uh, there's networking. Like, if you want to be a network engineer, go get a Cisco certification or Juniper certification. Specialize in things like... Palo Alto or whatever. You can do firewalls. That's another one. Uh, you can do uh, cryptography if you happen to be really good at math. 
if it, forensics, that's another really deep one that's very specialized. So there's all these different fields that you can specialize in. And this specialization of cybersecurity, for me, is compliance. It's been very lucrative and it's been recession proof. I know that like there's all these doomsday sayers saying that everything's going to collapse and, you know, the dollar is going to go to zero and all this kind of crazy stuff I've been hearing back to back on the Internet. And it's like no matter what happens, people are still going to use cybersecurity. No matter what happens, <laughs> people are still going to be like, hey, we have to protect our data. Right. Because we're not going to just suddenly the only thing that might happen that might end it all would be like, a, God forbid, like a EMP that destroys all data. Right. But even then, what, what are we going to do as humans? We're going to create computers again and we're going to be right back where we are and were and then cybersecurity is still going to be important. So I just don't see it going away. It's recession proof. I've been doing this through. I don't know, two different recessions now, and I'm still getting calls like crazy and um, and still still getting job offers, still getting all kinds of opportunities. So how do you do it? Where do you start? Go to ConvoCourses.com. Check out some of my free stuff. I got free, literally free courses that you could just sign up, just start watching it, to, to start you off from nothing, from zero. Where do I start? From nothing. And it, that video course just tells you, okay, what what's the first thing you need to do become a geek that's the first thing you need to do is learn this stuff you have to learn the common body of knowledge very first thing you need to do that actually might weed out some people because some people don't want to do it like you might get halfway through the course and be like uh this isn't for me you know so let me show you where that is that free course if you happen to be starting from absolute zero most of the stuff is for people who've been doing it for some time and I'm talking to them mostly. Those are the people who mostly interact with me. Uh, but here, here's one right here: cybersecurity entry level. And this is like, where? What do you like? You have no experience whatsoever. Where do you start? Okay, somebody said. All right, before I read this question, let me do something here real quick. Okay, the question is, is SOC analyst the only entry level in cybersecurity? Um, it seems like the only the one the only one I'm getting offered. Um, no. Uh Kamar, that's, that's not the only entry level position. Um help desk was the one I was familiar with. Um field tech is another one. Customer support is another one. Um there's many different entry levels into this field, into cybersecurity. Um, the The reason why you're only getting offered that is probably has something to do with your resume. There's something on your resume that is uh, very tasty to the security operations center people. And so that's what you keep getting offered. So what you want to do is highlight, and this is, okay, I got to pay some bills real quick. So just bear with me, Kamar. So you got to realize like a lot of people have the same question that you have the magic of the internet so one of my courses my in my personal opinion my best course uh, the things that's been paying me for years is this this little skill that i have right here resume marketing for cybersecurity and it so in this one um what i do is tell you exactly what i've been doing to get jobs 
And, and one of the key features is something I'm going to show you right now. One of the key things that I do is this right here. Uh, keyword research. And I put those in my resume. So let me show you. Right now, I'm actually in the middle of getting uh, looking for positions. I'm looking for a job right now. So if you happen to ha be in a place where you are looking for a person, uh, <laughs> I'm looking for a job right now. Let me show you something. Let me uh, go to my log into LinkedIn. I had all this stuff set up, but of course, all of it crashed. So, <sighs> got to do something about this setup. This is no bueno. Okay, as we were saying, so let's say you are trying to get a position. I'll just walk you through what I do. So if I was trying to get another position in another organization, let's say it was forensics, here's what I would do. This is in my course, by the way. Forensics. Forensics jobs. I'm going to look at forensics jobs, first of all. I'm going to do my own research. This is what you got to do. Now, if you're, you're in uh, Security Operations Center, think about what career path you want to go into because now it's time for you to level up and you got to put this on your resume. But first, you got to do your research to figure out what are those keywords you need to put on there to make you more desirable for forensics or whatever you're going to get yourself into. So right now, we're looking at forensics. So if I was trying to get into forensics, first of all, I want to know how much do they pay? Very important question because I got to pay my bills. I got to take care of my kids. I got, a, I got a whole bunch of stuff I need to do. So this is pretty good. It's a pretty good job. But maybe that's maybe that's only for that position. Like, are there any other ones? Let's see. I'm going to go to this one. And uh, another place we can go is Glassdoor, by the way. Glassdoor is probably one of the best ones if you're looking for salary. Because it will tell you the salary range of different, uh, different levels of forensic scientists and engineers. Whereas this is just, these are real jobs. This, this is no joke. I mean, this is real deal right here. But we want to know like, okay, if I, well, let's say I have zero experience doing uh, this. Are they going to pay me 100000 Probably not. Glassdoor will show you all that kind of stuff. So I would include that in my, in my research. I'm looking at prices. I'm looking at what kinds of things that they want uh, in their, what kinds of, a really important one is what kind of work do they do? responsibilities and active and and response and activities so they're going to develop they want me to develop strategies and plans to achieve security requirements uh, um, and address identified risks i can do that i mean i've been doing that for years um i'm not seeing anything like crazy here I'm not seeing anything crazy uh, they want a bachelor's degree five or more years of experience with I could literally sign up for this one. Look at this. Just doing a little bit of research on forensics and I found uh, entry level type forensics position. But then I have to do another resume. I have to do an actual interview with them to figure out is this a forensics position. So this is not telling me a lot about forensics. So I don't know even know why this came up, but I'd have to talk to them about that. And that's what I would do for the research because this looks like an entry-level position for forensics. So what I'm doing here is gathering information. What do they want to see on my resume? What do they want me to do, right? As a lot of what I'm seeing is basic security stuff. 
but I'm not seeing like specialized tools. I am seeing a lot of bachelor's degree type stuff, but I'm not seeing a lot of. Uh, OK, here's one right here. Uh, CTF. I keep seeing this. This is a very huge tool. This is something they'd have to have on my I'd have to have on my resume. So what I could do is let me see uh, cyber triage and forensics CTF. Is this a common keyword? I wonder. I'll do more research on that one. Um, I thought it was a tool, but maybe not. Um, let's see. What else are they looking for here? It, this looks like basic stuff. I mean, this looks like basic stuff, really. But, you know, one thing I, want, I would want to have on there is an understanding of TCP IP, understanding of basic IPS IDS, uh, understand troubleshooting Linux. I want to have that on my resume. Whenever you've done any of this stuff, you need to have that on your resume. People don't spend enough time in the preparation stage of their resume. This is the stuff you got to have on there. Cyber triage and forensics. Is that the name of this? Yeah, that's the name of the, okay. All right, anyway, I'm doing more research here. I'm pulling in keywords here. I'm just researching here. I'm not, I'm looking for like tools or something and I'm not really seeing a lot of like specific tools that they want me to have skills in. It looks like basic security stuff. CTF capture the flag. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. It does sound like that one. Um, provide uh, CIS in uh, NIST and DISA. So, okay, next stage. I've gathered some keywords here. I got some idea of what they're kind of looking for for forensics. And a lot of it's not too far removed from what I'm trying to do, like what I already have in my skill set. Um, but you want to gather as much of this data as possible, right? Next step is look at people's resumes for forensics. So see what I'm doing here? I search forensics, it's got jobs, right? It showed me all the jobs, that's cool. But now I wanna look at people's resumes. So I'm gonna go to people. And I'm gonna, I'm basically stealing. That's all I'm doing is I'm stealing information from this dude. This dude is a number one search for forensics. Why? There's a reason. Cause his resume is dope, that's why. So I'm gonna look at what this guy does. Look, this guy has forensics in the title of some of his positions at Blue Origin. But look at this, cybersecurity analyst. All right, what else did he do? Let's see. Okay, this dude was in the military. Forensics analyst, uh, intrusion analyst. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Bruce, like what? I've never been a forensics analyst. So what I would do is I would take training to be, I would put this in my resume. I'd say training to become a forensic analyst. All right, now, of course, I'd have to be training to become a forensic analyst. What this does is it puts it in my resume so that when people are looking for it, when people are searching for forensics analysts, now I'm, a, I'm gonna come up in one of the results because I put the words forensics analyst in my resume. Now, it says training, but I would explain that to them once they got to me. I'm sure that my resume is going to be good enough to where they're going to see it and be like, well, can you do this? Like, are you sure you want to? And I tell them all my experience and anything I've ever done as an analyst. Somebody says it's not stealing. It's appropriating. Were you in the military? Were you in the army before? 
because the army would never call stuff stealing. They would always call it appropriating. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So this dude, the reason why he's coming up number one is because it's listed on his resume several times as a, in forensics. So that's what you you that's what you're doing. You're appropriating some of the information. Now, here's another dude who's also uh, in the lead for forensics. These guys are the these guys know what they're talking about. These guys know what they're talking about. So these guys are the leaders in this particular space. That's why they're coming up number one on this. Uh, do you notice see do you see similarities between these two you notice how they're filled out completely that's what you got to do another thing you can do is look at their certifications this guy has a certified ethical hacker he's got a, a certified reverse engineering analyst i don't even know what that is um a cissp um yeah so i think a reverse uh engineer i think what they do is they take code and they figure out how it works and uh and, and what this is how they figure out where um advanced persistent threats come are coming from because they are able to look at the code and figure out like what country it came from what i think that's what it is but i, I could be wrong anyway so look at this look at look at these guys skills look at how much stuff they have in there this is the kind of stuff you want to see and you want to copy what they're doing, appropriate what they're doing. I'm not telling you to lie. I'm telling you to find a way to get it in your resume. That's what you do. And if you are a security operations center and that's all you're getting, figure out which direction you want to go and go in that direction. But that also that takes work on your part because if you want to go into you want to go into forensics, you got to start leaning in that direction. You know, you got to start doing research on what certifications that you need you know if you want to go into uh program management of course you know you probably want to put on there studying for my pmp and then actually be studying for your pmp so um i hope that that helps um for the sock and i had another question that was similar let me see if i can find that it was another linkedin question i think was it no it was on damn it's on freaking youtube hold on a second give me a second guys All right, let me see. Let me look up YouTube. I want to show you guys what I'm actually doing to get jobs right now. I'm in the process of getting back into the into the job market here real soon. And wow. Getting tons of offers, but I'm I'm being very very picky. So it's going to take me a while to get a position to be honest with you cuz I'm really going to get something I want. All I'm doing right now is going into my comments. Ten thousand subscribers. Pretty cool. Okay, here we go. Here we go. All right, so here's my comments from YouTube. Let me just make this a little bit bigger. I had a comment about, let me see. Let me see, they said, 
says something about having a master's degree. SVT says lying on your resume will get you nowhere, but understanding that a lot of your experience parallels the listed job requirements. Bruce details this in this course. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, I could not have said that better myself. He says, I'm not I, I'm not trying to tell you to lie in your resume. What I'm trying to do is have you to extract the the actual security that you do have experience that you do have. I'm trying to have you extract all the security experience that you already have and put that in, highlight that in your resume. That's what I'm trying to have you do because that's all I've done. Whenever I've transitioned from one, I've been in like three different fields. Like I was an ArcSight engineer. Like I literally put together ArcSight systems. That was my job. Um, and then I also did security and analyst work, cybersecurity analyst work which is very different from compliance. And that's the other one I did, compliance. And also was a field tech at one time, a Unix administrator and a field tech. I did four different positions. And the, the way that I did each one, and I was also a network engineer. The way I did each one was I, I would take my resume and I re, I would, I'd redo it to where it highlights all the networking stuff I did. If I wanted to do network engineering, I would highlight all the networking stuff I did. Like I would think, okay, what job was I in? Okay, I was in this job. I remember I did this with networking and then I would just highlight that. I would be at the top, I'd reword it. And then if I was doing compliance, of course, I got tons of stuff from compliance that I've been doing over the years. I just was focused, okay, I remember I was at Ball Aerospace. What did I do for compliance? All right, I remember I helped them write a policy. You gotta think about all the stuff you've done with compliance. If you're trying to do forensics, same thing. You gotta think about all the things that you've done with forensics. If it's nothing, then of course you gotta do some work in forensics to get in there. <laughs> all right, let me see. Um, I had a question. Oh, okay, here it is right here. Before I get to that, SVT says, it's very likely that there are literally tons of things that you do every day that are exactly the same as security work. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Like a lot of IT guys, they approach me, especially a lot of military guys, they'll approach me and say, Bruce, like I'm getting out of the military or I'm, I'm telling, I get so many people telling me this, so many. Like on, I get it on LinkedIn, I get it on email, I get it on like, and I tell them, okay, well, send me your resume. Let me take a look at it, you know, and um, if I have time, I'll do it for free sometimes. And then I'll, I'll look at it and it's like all this IT experience and it's like all they had to do was make a small adjustment. But that means they got to know the industry a little bit because I don't know what they've done and it's not written down, it's not documented. So all I do is I tell them, look, what security stuff have you done well i don't know i haven't done any okay have you ever i mean simple things like i don't i bring this example up all the time because everybody does it have you ever updated a system like have you ever put a patch on a microsoft system yes well that's that's cybersecurity. that's a security you've implemented a security control like here's let me how maybe if you write it like this you know <laughs> Or um, what's another one? Virus definitions. Everybody does that. If you happen to have been in IT for any number of months, at some point you updated the signatures on the virus uh, that's on the antivirus software that's on your computer. If you've done that, then you got to put that on your resume. If you did it, if you did it a thousand times for an entire floor of systems, guess what? You got to put that on your resume. 
right? If you've like one of the ones that you trivialize the most is whenever you get a call from those people you hate and despise the policy guys. That's me. That is me. Those policy guys is me. Those guys you hate that tell you, hey, we got to we're trying to get this compliance. We've got this SEA coming soon, this audit coming. Like I need this or that description from you. Could you describe this or that firewall or could you describe this? That Those guys that you hate their guts, that's me. And that's those guys make pretty good money, by the way. <laughs> so in ev- whenever what I'm trying to say is whenever you've helped them, whenever you've put given them a description, you you have helped to – You've helped to get an ATO. You've helped because they're reaching to you because you're the subject matter expert on whatever you're doing in, in the SOC. You're the subject like reaching to you and saying, hey, um, when you guys are on night shift, are you guys gathering this or that log? Right. And it sounds like it's just a trivial thing, but you've actually ha- are helping them to get the comp- uh, the uh, ATO for their system or an authorization for their system. So you can actually put that on your resume because that's what you did. Okay, so this dude asked me this question here. He says, I have a master's degree in science and cybersecurity, but I still don't have a job in cybersecurity. I need help. Okay, so my question, my question here, because this doesn't make sense. Whenever I get these questions, these comments, it just does not make sense to me. And the reason why is because if you have a master's degree, at the very least, and even with no experience, at the very least, you should be able to get an internship. You should be able to get an internship to start. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, I guess they just don't know. I mean, I have to know more information. So what I'll do is I'll like this comment. And um, and I'll just say, email me at con- contact. This is my new email, by the way. Contact at convo courses.com I'll get to it when I can I'm going on a really long trip maybe one of these days I'll be able to answer these questions I'm getting so many emails and stuff that I gotta focus on the stuff that pays me first you know what I mean so um, I just liked and commented on my own email (laughs) oh well Uh, let me see you better be updating those AV definitions every month. Um, amen. Artifacts. Yes, artifacts for the ATL. That's right. That's exactly what they're called. This man, hey, SVT, like, what do you do? Are you a compliance guy? You're speaking my language here. Okay, let's see. Somebody said CISSP, CAP, and CISM, let me see, what was the question here? It was, what certifications, what GRC certifications do I recommend? And this person said, CISSP, CAP, and CISM. Can I add to anything on this? GRC, so first of all, a GRC means governance, risk, and compliance. And so all the stuff that I talk about on this channel, that is that's GRC. So a GRC, these are the primary, um, these are the main ones that they look at. But 
to be honest with you, uh, other ones would be Security Plus. And um, Security Plus is is probably one of the most popular ones. Um, it's not a high level certification, but it it doesn't you know certification is isn't as big as the actual experience. The experience matters the most. To be honest with you, like a lot, there's a lot of focus on on certifications and stuff, but it's really the experience that's going to get you that's going to get you there. But since we're on this topic of of certifications and which ones you need for GRC, here's a good list to to take a look at. I show this one a lot because it's important, uh, especially if you're trying to get a job in uh, in the federal space, federal or state. Then this this list that you see right here is known as the 8140, and it was developed by is either Department of Defense or some some part of the government, federal government, for a cyber workforce. And what is breaking down here, if I can just explain this real quick, is different levels of information assurance. Information assurance is like your level of confidence. Um, for you to operate a, a system like if you had a system that has very important information that's protecting people's private information such as vet the uh, vet database right the, the vet veterans database that is is controlled by the veteran affairs office probably not a good example because they've been hacked and or leaked data several times but that's neither here nor there and that's another topic of a that's a whole nother video we're not talking about that we're focused on <laughs> is uh ia information assurance that that this ia means information assurance tech technician levels one two and three and so information assurance just means the level of confidence that the organization has for that information for that system so you've got iam here and that this stands for information assurance managers levels one two and three and you can see that they have a suggested uh some suggested certifications here like if you're an IAT1 or an information assurance technician level 1 they suggest that you have a A plus um a CCNA security which is a really hard cert so I don't know why that's on the same level as an A plus but you know they didn't ask for my opinion when they came up with this list SSCP um and then if you as you go up you have a uh, higher levels of certifications that they require so for for the technical side and then for the management side it's the same thing so if you are a iam level one now it'd be like a super a low level supervisor or something like that like you you are a supervisor of two of two people for, let's say so they're saying you should have at least a cap or a gslc or a security plus for that but if you're a level two that means like maybe you manage uh one small unit within a cybersecurity or IT department or something like that. You should have a CAP, a CASP, a CISM, uh, a CISSP, or a GSLC. And it goes on and on. And then they've got specializations like auditor and, and uh, upper level managers and things like that. And incident responders, you got CEH in there. These certifications give you a good idea of, of what is hot out there in the market it does not tell you how good the person is it does not tell you how smart they are that is <laughs> that's a misconception i've met some very dumb cissps and i've met some very smart people who had no certifications no degrees 
They were like that janitor. You know, have you ever seen that movie Get Goodwill Hunting? They were janitors doing astronomical theoretical physics on a blackboard at night as they were sweeping floors. I met people like that and they had no degrees and no certifications and they were scary smart. They were terrifyingly smart and it was no wonder they were getting paid more than everybody else. I've met people like that. So a certification does not say how smart you are is not it tells you how well it tells you that you passed the test. That's what it tells you. <laughs> but that being said, uh, the 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 um, HR departments know what these certifications are because it's it's on this list. It's it's advertised quite a bit. So if you have a CISSP, good on you, man. Like that's a smart move because uh, this is a very marketable certification. Security Plus is also a very marketable certification. You can see it here. It's in three different areas here. You can be a, a manager, a, an IAT level one, a two. And this is not something that's just kept with it off of being marketed by the DOD and, uh, and other organizations. So yeah, let me see if I have any other questions on, on uh, TikTok. And by the way, TikTok is awesome. Follow me on TikTok if you happen to be there. It's combo courses at TikTok. I do videos on there that I don't necessarily always put on on uh, YouTube or Facebook or Reels or whatever. I try to kind of keep them all everywhere. Like if I have short form, I try to put them on all platforms. But I, I, sometimes I can't. It's it's native to the platform and it's not going to always go over there. So just best thing to do is just follow me on combo courses. Follow me on YouTube. Follow me on Facebook, and then you'll see uh, all my material there. And a lot of times, it's free stuff um, that you wouldn't you wouldn't otherwise like. You, you could sign up for it, but it's also little slivers of free gems that I put out there for everybody. If you guys are joining me late, you guys should know that right now I have a new course out. This is something people have been asking me about for a long, long time. I released the first part of it. I'm in development of this i'm going to continue to put more and more material over time and it, the price will go up but right now i have a csa course that's out the first parts of it is out uh the introduction and the process is out next is going to be the preparation stage and then the planning stage and then we're going to get into conducting the actual assessment if you're interested in something like this uh, it's 200 bucks right now, but also you can just check it out for free. Um, if you sign up for free at Convo Courses, sometimes I just give out free stuff for no damn reason at all. And then also I have a book out. So this book is right now is $1.99. Trust and believe all these prices will go up. I know you're like, well, if it's only $1.99, then how is it worth anything? This is going to be a $40 book. I'm just telling you guys because you follow me, right? Right now it's $40 because this is the first, this is the first uh, version of the book. Um, I've got to do a final edit, and I just figured, you know what? I'm not going to wait another week for my edit to be done. I'm going to go ahead and release it now. There might be some uh, minor issues in it. I'll release it now for $1.99. I'm going to come back in the final edit, 40 bucks. That's how much this book's going to cost. I'm going to be selling this on the site as well, but right now I'm looking for you guys, my followers, my community to go ahead and buy it for one dollar 99 cents give me a dope re review just like you did on my last book thank you guys so much for that it really helped out the sales of that book now other people are finding it on amazon that's how this thing works what happens is it goes off reviews right so if, if it has good reviews out there people 
will see it and say, okay, well, I'll check this book out. So there's the book out there for $1.99. It's going to be about 40 bucks when it's all said and done. Right now for the first week, it'll be $1.99. And then, of course, you've got the SEA course for 200 bucks. This is also going to go up in price over time as I release more and more bits of it. Um, so thank you guys so much for all of your support. Um, it's been great um to to actually participate in this community because that's what this is let me see if i have any other questions that i can answer right now let me see oh so you're an iso information system security officer man i've done that for so long and iso is a really good uh a really good career i mean you know i used to hate it in the beginning because all i wanted to do was uh be I wanted to be like some kind of like a hacker or something like that. You're like I would really get into that stuff, but what I learned is the ISO work it gave me a lot more um it gave me a more robust um experience in 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 uh cybersecurity. I noticed like those guys who are really deep on say, I don't know, uh coding they don't really know about physical security. They don't really know about personnel security. They don't know anything about they don't have a very high level of emotional intelligence that I've had to develop over time because I had to talk to people. And um, because I was an ISO for so long, I have this well-rounded, not only technical, but also managerial experience. I have the ability to speak to three tiers of in the organization, including the C level execs, the the customers on the other end that have nothing to do with the technical side, the actual deep technical people who I gotta uh, just to talk to them for three minutes, I gotta study for thirty minutes to figure out what technology they have and how to what words to use and stuff. I have experience touching all these different pieces of an organization's cybersecurity and so becoming an ISO gives you that level of experience so man it, it's really been it was really worth it uh, becoming an ISO uh, Abby says hey Bruce how do you do CPEs for the cap um, let me see if I can show you real quick I'm gonna show you let me see if I can log into mine and I'll show you how how you do that CPEs for the cap. So, first of all, um, it's done through isc2squared.org. And um, there are certain domains that you have to do. And what I do as I'm logging in here, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll show you in a second here. But what I do is things like this actually this is a cpe me teaching people is a cpe um but also my books my, my book writing the book is also a cpe um reading a book is a cpe i don't know if you knew that it sounds like cheating but um no it's it's literally a cpe and let me show you let me see if i can find the domains what if I was just, okay, let me see if I can add one real quick. I'm, I'm actually logging into the site right now so I can show you uh, what, as I'm talking to you, so I can show you like what it looks like and everything. Let me see here. I almost got it. 
Okay. Okay. Almost got it. Bear with me, guys. Okay. All right, let me show you here. All right, here, here, I just logged into my own personal, um, my own personal IC2 squared. I have the cap, by the way. So Abby asked, how do you get CPEs for the IC2 cap? So a cap is um, a certification that focuses on the NIST 800. And um, this is how you do it. You log into your site, into the IC2 squared dot org site and it asks you like what what category are you filling here so you've got education like that's like if i went to school if i got another certification like if i got for example if i got the cap if i got the cap the casp i'm sorry if i got the cast from uh, comp t if i got another certification that would actually help me with my cpes it, that also includes college courses of course if the webinars they don't have to be an actual college course where you're paying money it could be a free webinar like if you know splunk will send out uh, hey here's a free webinar buy our stuff you go there you watch it for an hour and you can put that in there as a as an actual thing that you did another one is contributions to professionalism and then they tell you like here's some examples of it um board let me see if i can make this a little bit bigger uh board services like if i went to the issa there's an organization called the information instrument information system security association locally every organization every town and city has well every state has one i would go there and if i served as the professional board of that organization i could put that on there um exam development for a subject matter expert if I help to develop a, an exam and it goes on and on it actually tells you gives you some uh, little uh, examples of things that you can do prepare uh, a, a presentation a lecture I do this a lot so this is one I could use uh, webinars uh, attending a webinar presenting a rep webinar all of those things will help you to get CPEs and then they ask you like, well, how, well, what was the label of it? What would you call it? What was the length of it? Was it a day course? Was it how many? And it tells you based on if you had a day or two days or whatever, like watch if I put eight days, it should increase the credits. But I, I said one day, let me see, what if I said two days? Yeah, there you go. See how it increased the credits here? So those are CPEs. Now what they want you to do, you can't lie on this because Sometimes they'll audit you, and then another thing is they'll ask you for um, for um, artifacts, uh, evidence that you've actually accomplished. So you don't want to lie on it. Like that's a bad idea, and it's not necessary. Like you can literally like read books to to get CPEs. You can read a book that's in this field. Like you can't read if you read a history book on the Civil War. That's not going to help you with CPEs. Okay, I mean obvious, obviously. You know, <laughs> but if it's if it's a book about encryption, that might help you. You know, if it's a book about um, if it's a book about it, like a Kevin Mcnick book about um, the art of deception or something, that might help you out. Okay, so um, professional development. Here's another one. This is uh, if you went to a, a chapter formation management, non-security education courses and seminars. Uh, and then they give you like you would have to put it in here. 
non-security. Non-security might be, I don't think they're talking about uh, ancient Egypt, okay? I think they're talking about like IT, you know, it has to be something related to to uh, our industry. Non-security uh, industry, like it had to be something related, but not security. That's what they mean. So yeah, here's, that's how you do develop, uh, professional development, unique work experiences. I mean, here you go right here. You would explain this like this is your actual job. You can put stuff from your job in here as your um, as your actual stuff here. And then, of course, you can upload evidence of this. If you had a training, I know at the last place I worked at, we would have training at once a once a month. We'd have deep training once a week. They many times a week, actually, they would have us do other training on our own. And and all the time I could just put that stuff in there. And uh, that would also count as my CPEs. No need to lie about it because you're doing stuff all the time. You just need the, they just want you to document what you're doing. And then there's also a fee with that as well. So that is how you do CPEs for the cap. What you're doing right now, watching me talk about risk management framework is also CPEs. We've been talking, We I've been on this for an hour. You could literally put in there the name of this. Uh, you could do a screenshot Put that in there as your evidence. <laughs> I'm telling like it's actually pretty easy. That's the easy part. The hard part is probably the fee you have to pay, the maintenance fee. You know, that's probably the hard part. Okay, let me show you uh my CISSP. If I can just give me a second, I'm trying to uh go to that one if I can. Let me see if I can show you that one. It's similar. CISSP is similar. Uh, let me see here. Oh, here you go. I can show you some of the stuff I already did. Okay, yeah, let me, let me show you some of the stuff that I did for the CISSP. If I, let me make sure I'm not revealing too much of my own personal information here. Okay, I think we're good. Hope I don't freaking get hacked or something. Somebody found something. All right, so here's CPEs right here. And I'm, uh, I've am i got to put some in. I just haven't had time to put this stuff in there, but I will. But look, so here's one, initial risk assessment report review. Um, that's, that's from my job. I actually did some sort of a risk assessment there. And then I had to do like a conference and a presentation on it, stuff like that. So... Um, that was something I developed and that one they accepted. And another one is, um, I did a fundamentals of cloud concepts, AWS and one for Google and Azure. And that put that one in there. That was a ton of videos I had to go through. It was not easy. Um, and then recorded future and dark web stuff and a physical security assessment, uh, seminar. So that's the course I did. I think I got an actual certification for this one, to be honest with you. So that was that was about two credits. That actually should have been way more credits than that. That thing took a long time. Uh, security assessment resources review uh, overview. So that's how you do it, and it's it's similar to what you saw there. You just asks like what um what what you did like whether it was a presentation or something how many hours was it you put that in there and that's how you do it and then also what i'll do sometimes is i'll upload 
the if I had a certification from it, I'll upload that. Like if you went through my course and you have a certification from it and it's within your cycle, you could actually upload that and say, I went through Bruce's course, here's CPE, and it actually has the hours in there for it. So if it was if it says eight hours, my it the course says eight hours. You could put that in there and upload it as one of your CPEs. For the cap and the CISSP, by the way. And the Security Plus also does, uh, they call them like CEUs or something like that. Hope that answers your question. Let me see if I have any other. Just so you guys know, while, while I'm in between uh, going to the next topic here, um, I'm going to be going out of the country for some while, for a while. So I might be away from, I don't know if I'll be able to do this next week, but we'll see. Uh, maybe I'll be able to do it from that place. It depends on the actual um, access to the internet. Okay, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Somebody asked me. Somebody said, uh, Malik says, Hello, Bruce. Can you please make a video on cybersecurity assessor role? So I'm going to start doing more since I have a, the cybersecurity assessor role that's out right now. And if you guys didn't know, if you happen to be coming in late, I have a, a security control assessor course that I'm releasing early release. That's why it's so cheap right now. But you can also uh, preview it for free. And it's all talking about exactly what his question was, which is cybersecurity assessor work, what you actually do, what you'd actually do to prepare. I'm going to be going into the methods that you use, the specific questions that you use for each family of controls. All of that's going to be in video form. I'm also writing a book on this that's going to go in uh, detail on what you actually do as a security control assessor in that role because a security control assessor uh, assessment work is not just done by security control assessors it's not just something that you do as, as your you know actual job role it's something that isos do too uh, uh something that information system security officers have to do when they do a self-assessment on their system it's something that Cybersecurity people have to do in all industries. At some point, you have to do an assessment on your system. So all I'm doing is talking about from the NIST perspective, how do you do it? I'm gathering all the, the all of the experience that I have had over the years doing risk assessments and doing security control assessments and doing privacy assessments, all that kind of stuff. All the documents are going to be in there for you to download, templates, stuff like that, just like all the other courses I do. But also when I'm doing them, I'm grabbing data from the NIST 37, the NIST 53, the NIST 53A, uh, and all the other documents and putting it and consolidating it into a video form. And that is what this course is. And then I'm going to also include the actual methods for each family, but that's going to take me obviously more time. I've only released the first part of this, but in the coming weeks and months, I'm going to be releasing more and more of this. And then as it as I do that, the price will go up gradually because this is not if you look on the Internet, there's not that many assessor courses. It's just it's just not something that's really taught, which is kind of strange to me because it's so important. But, yeah, that's we're going to be talking a lot about that. But I could talk about it right now. What kinds of tasks do you do as a security control assessor? Where's my question at? Where'd it go? I don't know. Where did it go? <laughs> anyway, he asked, what kinds of things do you do as a, as a 
um, in a as a cybersecurity person doing assessments? Um, I can answer this. Um, so what you're doing is you're trying to see, you're trying to determine the effectiveness of the security control that's implemented on a system. And an example of a security control, the one that everybody should be familiar with, would be identity, uh, identification, and authentication, which is basically username and password. But it can also be multi-factor authentication. That is one example of a security control. So as an assessor, what would you do with this? You would use different methods to test whether or not the organization has implemented the identification and authentication properly. And those methods, uh, the ones that they suggest, but it doesn't mean you have to stick with those, but the ones that they suggest is, they meaning the NIST documentation, is number one, observation. Observing the documentation, looking at the documentation. Do they even have a policy or procedures for identification and authentication? They should have one, especially if they're a federal organization. Uh, so you would observe their documentation. Is it up to date? Did they have signatures for upper level managers on it? Um, does it ad actually address identification and authentication effectively? You know, does it say, hey, we use username and password exclusively? Or, hey, we use multi-factor authentication exclusively. We use biometrics. We use thumbprints. We use, does it mention those things? So that's what you would do in observe it, observation. You would observe and see, determine whether or not they are talking about identification and authentication. Another thing you would do is interviews, interviewing key people who are the people who are actually implementing the identification and authentication. You, If you went to the janitor and start asking them questions because they work there and you say, hey, hey, what, what kind of what kind of identification authentication that you have you know obviously it's not going to work right You can't just go to HR and be like, hey how you know they, they don't they might not know right So you don't want to ding the organization for something that you know you, you have to sit down with key, with key personnel you got to sit down with people who are in charge of that particular thing might not necessarily be in charge like they're in the know of the identification on authentication now who are those people might be they might be the information system security officer they should probably know the identification and authentication that's going on within the organization for that particular system that you're doing the assessment on uh, of course your your system administrators they should know it so they're going to ask them questions. What kind of questions did you, do you ask them? I'll just give you a couple. Like one would be, uh, what kind of authentication and identification do you use? And then if they say, well, we use username and password. Okay. Um, what, how, how many, what's your passwords look like? What, what kinds of passwords? How long? What kind of characters do you have? How many characters do you have in your passwords? Right? And they might say, well, we use eight. And you might say, well, according to your policy, you guys are supposed to be using 12. So is it eight or 12? Like th those are questions you might ask, ask like simple questions, but it has to match what they say in the policy. Uh, and then testing, that's the other thing. We talked about observation, we talked about interviews, and then the, the last one would be testing. Testing would be to actually see if they use those passwords. Like say you could have them allow you to make you an account. Say, hey, make me an account. And then you would observe, you would uh, test whether or not they actually gave you that 14-character password. Um, so that's that's another thing that you could test. Another thing you could do is if you ran a scan, that would be another way to test the the systems mechan the organization's mechanisms that 
uh, manage the identification and authentication policy. They, that scan would then give you back and say, well, they're using eight character passwords. You know, it would see that there, it would test that out. So those are the three methods that you use. Those are the things that you do as an assessor. And those are the things that I'm going to be going into great detail on in this particular course. But it goes way deeper than that because you got to know how to prepare for it and all that kind of stuff. But also I'm going to be writing a book about it. I'm actually not going to be writing a book. I'm literally writing it right now. It's going to take me about a month, a month and a half or so to write it. Um, I don't know how long this one's going to be, so it might take a little longer. We'll see. Um, what do you do as an SEA? Strike the terror in the hearts of the ISOs. <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's absolutely true. Like as an ISO, um, it's terrifying to go through an assess assessment. But what I found, like one of the tricks that I used as an ISO was I, I would run a, a, my own uh, assessment. And uh, I would make my own security assessment plan. I would do my own I would document it in a security assessment report and uh, I would know what was going on before they got there. So they would I would still be like anxious. You know, I'd be nervous that they're going to come here and find some stuff that we, we didn't see. But I'd be less anxious because I will have done my own homework and I kind of already know where where the skeletons are in the closet, so to speak. <laughs> and so what I would try to do as an ISO is I would try to address it before they got there. So I would, meaning I would I would run my own scan so I already know, okay, damn, okay, we got a clear text uh, FTP and stupid IT won't get rid of it because they're saying that we have to have it, right? So now we got to do a plan of action and milestone. Let me start that. Let me start that up. We, I've, I, so I'm just doing all my homework so that when they when they find it, well, if they find it, right, because I'm not going to volunteer that information. I know it's there. We got to fix it, obviously. But if they find it, I have an answer for them. I can just say, hey, listen, we already I already know about it. You know, thanks for pointing that out. We already know about it. We have a plan of action and milestone that's already being done. Um, SVT says, my... SCA is actually really cool. Our group used to think that that was they were the boogeyman, but when he saw that I was I had my crap together and lit and was listening to him, uh, he found issues. He understood that I was trying. That's exactly right, and that's a great relationship to have um, because when I at my lat previous position uh, a few months ago, I just I quit like I don't know a month two month two ago, and. Whenever I would find, like they were the worst thing they could do was try to hide stuff, uh, <laughs> or lie about it. Man, that it's just like what, like what are you doing? We're on the same team. I'm not trying to hurt you. Like I'm trying to help to get this this organization tight so that we don't get like a malicious breach. Like if we like we have to get our shit together. This is we're a team, you know. So. I was the assessor and I and I'd be we'd run the scans and stuff and if they if I could see that they were trying then I could present that to upper level management and say look here's here's what they had before here's what they have now and I could show an improvement and if I could show an improvement then that would take the heat off the ISOs that would take the heat off the ISSMs and it would show that hey they're working on it and Nine times out of ten, I mean, that is what risk management framework is about. It's about managing the risk. You're never going to have a system with zero 
uh, vulnerabilities, with zero threats. You know, that's not a system anymore. Something else. It's not a system. An information system. It has exposure to not maybe not the internet, but it can have exposure to other systems. It's going to have exposure to uh, data coming in and going out. It's going to have exposure to users using the system. Like at any point, somebody could do something bad or mess something up and it's going to crash the system there's all kinds of things that can happen to a system there's always risk there's always vulnerabilities and we're just managing the level of impact that those bad things those negative things that happen we're just managing the level of risk that's going to occur that's going to happen with that we're going to make sure that if we that if we fall down we can bounce back up again that's that's the name of the game is managing and reducing the risk to the organization so if you just tell the if you just are forthcoming and tell them look here's where we're at if you don't know the worst thing that i found is either there's two there's two they the worst one i think is when they actively lie about it they know there's a problem and they are trying to hide it <sighs> that's just i'm not going to be on your team anymore if you're trying to if you're trying to do stuff, pull stuff like that, I'm not on your team. I'm just going to report the facts of what I've seen, and then that's it. Um, you know, but if – well, back. let me back up. The other bad thing is to not know anything uh, because I ran – scan. I go to a, a network, a system, whatever, and I find something, and they absolutely were ignorant of it and had no idea. That's also pretty bad, but – at the same time, it's like how could they have known? You know, sometimes there there's no way they could have. They're not if they're not running their own scans and stuff. Then there's you know how could they have known that? So, uh, but that's still bad because they should be running their own scans. They should be doing their own due diligence and stuff to find that stuff. So those are the two things. Like if they're hiding it and if they're if they just actively don't know about it because they're not doing due diligence. I, I think those are those are two of the worst things I've seen. So. Man, the best thing you can do is just be forthcoming about things and just say, and just show progress and say, look, and then listen, just like he said, SVT said, like, listen to the actual assessor when they say, hey, this thing, you might want to take a look at this. And then you go take a look at it and take care of it. And then at the very least, have a plan of action to actually fix it. That is awesome. That is mad respect to people who do that. All right. Let me see if there's any other questions here. Uh, let me see here. Do 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 If you guys didn't know, um, I have a TikTok out there. Come and join us. We're building this community out on TikTok. I'm representing you guys on TikTok. Here we go. Look at this. Look at these awesome videos. These ridiculous, ridiculously awesome videos. Some of them are entertaining. Um. And if you have any questions or whatever, then uh, feel free to ask me on, on here. Look at this. My cat is on here. How many times have you seen my cat on YouTube? Never. That's when. Well, actually, I think I put this exact video on YouTube. But got to grow this to 10,000. That's our goal. 10,000 followers right there. And also, if you guys didn't know, in the link in description below, I've got another book that's out right now. It's right now. It's $1.99. I'm going to be sending this out to my entire list uh here real soon and um it's not going to be a dollar 99 forever this is going to just like before right now i'm uh getting some reviews like if you guys don't mind buy this book dollar 99 and then i'm going to update this book and i'm going to have the 
printed version out and I'm gonna have the um, the uh, PDF out. So anybody, here's what I'm gonna do. <sighs> okay, for this time only, for anybody who gives me a review, if you buy this book and give me a review, when I get done with the final copy, the final edit, I'm gonna send you just, I need to see a review there, I will send you, I'm not even sure if this is, is this legal, I don't know. I'm gonna send you a PDF. I'm gonna send you a PDF. A PDF version of the final book. And you should know that there's another book coming out. I'm working on another one that focuses on assessments. Um, that one, I don't see a lot of people writing. Uh, I don't see a lot of versions of actual assessments. But here's the book right now, right here. This one focuses on actual control, the control families. It doesn't go into all thousand plus controls. What it does is it helps you interpret what control family, what each control family, where you should focus as an ISO. If you happen to be an information system security officer, there's certain areas that are more visible uh, to the assessors to the organization that have the most exposure. And if they're not taken care of, it can really hurt you and the organization. I focus on those things. I inter we interpret it. We interpret what the control is trying to say and how to manage the risk. And then we talk about what do you do in each part, in each step in the risk management framework process. And we're, we're not talking about every control because not every control applies to every system. It's, it, NIST is not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, it's a tailored uh, security compliance methodology. You tailor the controls to your organization. But what I do do is focus on the things that are most important. All right, guys. I've been talking for about an hour and 40 minutes, which is like a record for me. I don't normally talk for up to an hour. Uh, two hours but that's it for this one thank you guys thanks svt for all your amazing commentary and all your questions i appreciate that um thanks uh navi to, to 2000 and uh kamar and everybody else who stuck with me appreciate you guys i will see you guys i'm not sure if it's gonna be next week but at some point in the future just keep watching go ahead and join me on uh tiktok and check out the book if you want and